There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today I want to talk about how do you make a brilliant presentation. So you know the formula. You've done all this work. You've completed all the analyses. You've worked through all the issues, and now you're going to make the presentation, probably to some senior stakeholders, and you're hoping you're going to get a go ahead. If you're like most people, you've done taken all your time in preparing the presentation every single available minute, and you haven't really thought about what does it take to make the presentation itself. However, we're going to argue today that regardless how brilliant the work is that you have done up to this point, the presentation, the presenting of the content may matter just as much as the work itself. So what do you need to know? What you think about before you make that big presentation? What are the mistakes to avoid? And how can you do this so that you have the impact you hope for? And that's our focus today. So with me is Charlie Simpson. Charlie has a very interesting career background. He practiced at the bar in the UK for four years in criminal licensing and family law before deciding to become a professional actor in 1990 and actually did quite well with his acting career, having won prestigious the Carlton Hobbs BBC Radio Drama Award, and he's gone on to perform with the Royal Shakespeare Community in the West End in London and on TV in anything from classic drama to soap. Now, As exciting as that was, and having two career transitions behind him, in 2003, he decided to make yet another transition, and he joined Richard Garnett, building up a portfolio of clients ranging from finance to law to fashion across all levels, from the CEO on down, to help people understand how to do a better job of their presentation. Charlie is also an accredited mediator and a co-founder of another business, Present.me. So, Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. That's very kind of you to invite me. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. Likewise. All right, so I want to can start I, with the can first. I just, Wanda, can I just, on behalf of the RSC, I should probably, I should just probably make one little tiny observation. It's the Royal Shakespeare Company, not community. Otherwise, I might get sued. <laughs> okay, Royal Shakespeare Company. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It still sounds impressive to me either way. And quite an interesting combination for what you do today. Because your job now is helping people take all that wonderful work and turn it into a fabulous presentation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. That's part of it, yeah. <clears throat> okay. The question I always get, and I am sure you get all the time, is, mm-hmm. so I'm a natural introvert. I'm a bit shy. I don't really like being on stage. I get very nervous in public speaking. Mm-hmm. So can anyone learn to present well, or is this just something those extroverts, those naturally talented speakers are going to excel at? Okay. Well, you're right. That is absolutely a question that I get asked a lot. And I, I suspect the answer that I'm going to give you is a fairly predictable one. So, so of course, there are people out there who are gloriously uh, 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 gifted and lucky them. They got, they got born with a talent to be the most fabulous communicators. The good news is that they are a very small number of people. Um, the vast majority of people weren't born with that in their blood, uh, and they have to work at it. Um, and uh, your, the, the wonderful Mr. Ford uh, made his classic observation that whether you can or you can't, you're probably right, which is one of my favorite quotes. Whether you can or you can't, you're probably right. Uh, and the answer is that for almost everybody, the answer is you absolutely can. Um, there are fundamental principles that underpin uh, really effective, um, really impactful spoken word communication. And if you obey some rules and you work hard at it, then absolutely everybody can get to a standard which is, frankly, more than just good. Um, I've got a number of clients who I would absolutely describe as introverted and deeply uncomfortable with this stuff uh, early in their careers. 
um, and they've worked hard at it. And, 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 you know, it's like a sport, right? You, you can't just go out onto the golf course having, uh, uh, having spent a couple of hours on, on the practice range. You've got to put the hours in. But if you put the hours in, absolutely, there are fundamental principles you can learn and get really very good at it. Okay, so that suppose I'm an average person mm-hmm. on presentation. I'm neither gifted nor unbearably shy. Right. And I've just done this presentation, and I'm going to stand up and make the presentation in order to do a moderately good job. Mm. What's your estimate on how many hours of work I need to put in on the presenting part itself? So when you say the presenting part, are you talking about the putting together of the content as well as the uh, making sure that you come across in the way that you want to? Because for me, those are the two sides of the coin. Are you, okay, are, so, you, are you including both in the question? Well, as I know you're going to say, they all come together because while I have done the content, meaning I've done all the hard work and I've produced the PowerPoint and all of that, I think one of the things you're going to say is I need to go back over that PowerPoint right. from there and go right. forward. I mean, when you're, when you're faced with, uh, with making a presentation, clearly you've been asked to make the presentation because you have got knowledge and, a, and there's a body of, 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 of work there that's going to be presented. And the first thing that you've got to do, obviously, is work on what it is that you're actually going to present. What are the choices that you're going to make in terms of the content? Because you can't say everything. In fact, one of my favorite little quotes is, if you try to say everything, you'll probably end up saying nothing. Um, so uh, you've got to make decisions about what it is you're going to say. And then, of course, um, assuming that this is in front of a you know, reasonably high-pressure situation, you've then got to put in some rehearsal to make sure that you come across in the way that you want to when you're under pressure. So those are the kind of two arenas, and they are absolutely connected. Um, is there a – can I give you a number – for, well, you need to put in this amount of hours, but it, I can't because it depends completely on the nature of the content, how well you know the content, and also how effective you are as a speaker in the first place. So I wouldn't okay. probably say, you know, you've got to do this number of hours for this. You sometimes okay. hear people say, well, you've got to put in 10 hours of work to do 10 minutes of... I don't really believe in that because there are too okay. many different situations. All right, fair enough, fair enough. But it's more than 30 minutes, I presume. Oh, the, 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 the big trap is thinking that you've done enough. <laughs> okay. um, I've got many, many uh, clients over the years, particularly actually senior men, uh, uh, I'm afraid, uh, who tend to say, yeah, Charlie, um, uh, I'm pretty good here. I don't want to over-rehearse because uh, then it might get a bit stale. Um, okay. and, uh, and the truth is, um, and I have to say to them, that's not the danger. The danger is not that you're going to be stale. The danger is that you're not going to be as good as you could, should be, could be, um, uh, because actually you haven't put in the requisite amount of work to take something that's good to something that's really, really good. Okay. All right. So you've mentioned a couple of the biggest mistakes you make people, you see people making. You've said that you have the information, but you try to say everything and therefore say right. nothing. You said that people believe that they can just stand up and do it. You know, I've hit a golf ball once in my life. I can stand up and make a presentation. That's fine. Yeah. What are the other big mistakes that you watch people make? Well, can I, can I frame things a little bit first of all? Because sure. as I mentioned earlier on, there's a kind of coin here with two sides. And the first side is the, is, is the content side. And then the other side is what you might call the impact side of the equation in terms of how you come across as a human being. Would it be okay just to kind of focus yep. perhaps first of all on some content stuff? Yes. Okay, great. So I think that the first really, and by the way, nothing that I say is rocket science because I, I believe that people have got quite enough rocket science in their lives already. So everything I'm going to say is frankly common sense. And the first observation is that there is a huge difference between the written word and the spoken word. And, and I think people underestimate that. Um, what's the best way to illustrate that? Uh, the people who do my job uh, love to mention Martin Luther King and Churchill and all sorts of other people like that. So I'll, I'll mention Martin Luther King. 
why did he why did he i think it's worth asking the question all that wonderful language if we think of all that fabulous all that wonderful dreamy stuff i mean amazing language why did he stand up and speak it why didn't he have that wonderful language written down and have a beautiful pamphlet distributed all over the country arguably reaching a wider audience because there weren't many tvs around in those days uh, but he didn't he stood up and he spoke amazingly as we know but why i often ask people why and typically what people will do is they'll say well uh, um, uh, he wanted people to see his passion and i'll say yes why well he um uh he really cared about um uh, what he was talking about and it really mattered to him yes but why and eventually after asking why a few times somebody will say well he was trying to change something which of course is the right answer he was not standing up to inform people uh uh that human beings were systematically being massacred in louisiana or wherever else you want to name uh, he was trying to stop that happening he was not informing he was trying to shift something in language that he probably wouldn't like very much he was trying to motivate some kind of an activity now you can you can shift the way people think you can shift the way people feel and you can shift the way people act but that is the fundamental difference between the spoken word and the written word the if if the spoken word is actually rubbish at communicating information if you think about the number of meetings that you've been into and someone said oh i've got three things i want to say about this and half an hour later later over a cup of coffee someone says what are the three things nine times out of 10 we can't even remember three things but the spoken uh, but on the other hand if you write that down that's fantastic because i can look at it as many times as i want to great so the spoken word really tr- struggles to communicate information the written words brilliant at it the spoken words very good at moving people and actually the written words not very good at that it's 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 tough to to shift people and motivate people with the written words it's not impossible but it's tough so the fundamental distinction that people have to grasp up front is this is this notion that when you're speaking you're not informing people i'd even go so far as to say if you're having a meeting and you can't tell me what the potential journey of that meeting is the a to b of that meeting what you're looking to try and do with the meeting you don't need a meeting if all you're doing is informing people you don't need a meeting and if you're standing up in front of people and speaking and all you're doing is informing them you're not using that time valuably um so that's the first thing that's really really crucial for it so it's a big trap that people fall into the spoken spoken word should never be about informing does that okay. make sense? Absolutely makes sense, and I love it. I just want to repeat a couple of things you said there because yeah. I think they're quite profound. Mm. One of those is a statement you said that if we're having a meeting and mm. I don't have a map for that meeting from going mm. from from A to B on a journey, yeah. then I shouldn't be having a meeting in the first place. Yeah, really. That I mean, that's all a I'm doing. Extreme, is, but yeah, <laughs> if all I'm in doing is informing people, then we should do it in another means. That's much more effective. Written is fabulous. Edit. Spoken is fabulous at motivating people. You mentioned Martin Luther King. One of the things that I find fascinating, I have used the video clips of him because Mm -hmm. the whole persona and how he presents is so powerful. It's nice to see that in action and pull apart what it is he does that's so powerful. Courtesy of Jay Conker's research, I've used that one. But if you go and pull the text of the I Have a Dream speech, for example, Mm -hmm. and put it on paper and read it word for word, Mm -hmm. it's awful. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely awful, but you don't notice that when you're listening to it, which yeah. makes for an interesting point. Yeah. Okay. So okay, two good. sides of the right. coin. There's the content, where the written word is about conveying information. The spoken word is about moving people. Absolutely. So having okay. that's a kind of umbrella observation that sits above all spoken word content. It's about shifting people. Now, now you've got to start about thinking about, okay, so with that in mind and that, with that always in the background, I'm starting to think about my content now. So <coughs> there are two things that as I'm speaking to a bunch of people, I'm going to have to do. Fundamentally, I'm going to need to hold their attention um, and I want them to remember what I say. And both of those are, 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 are challenging. The people that you're speaking to are likely to be busy. They'll have a whole bunch of stuff going through their brains the whole time. They'll no doubt be on their devices. Oh, goodness knows what in this modern world. So 
you've got to have a way of holding their attention. So it's work, first of all, let's talk about the holding of another human being's attention. Um, there's a fundamental principle here that I think that underpins the holding of another human being's attention. If you imagine an old school photo, I don't know what sort of school you went to, but at my school we had these old school photos. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, imagine that you come across one of those in a, in a dusty drawer one day, uh, and you haven't seen it for years, and you open it up, and there it is. There's the, the, the class or whatever it is. Where do your eyes go first? What do you look for first? Yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Where am I? The eyes go straight to where you are. And then, of course, you might start to pick out your friends. But fundamentally, you go straight for yourself. That tells us something fundamental about us, which is that we're completely obsessed with ourselves. In the nicest possible way, we are totally (laughs) obsessed with ourselves. We filter the world on a moment-by-moment basis, hour-by-hour, day-by-day. We filter it through our me filter. Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? This has a profound implication for you as a communicator. If you imagine a kind of picture with a a world in which there you are on one side of the page with your universe that you're fascinated in, and then on the other side of the page you've got somebody who you're talking to and they've got their universe that they're fascinated in, it's a very stupid communicator who says, come on over to my world and let me talk to you about all the things that I'm an expert in. Because fundamentally, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> Where I'm getting, in the nicest possible way, I don't care. Where I'm going to get interested is if you want to bring your world to my world and in a kind of Venn diagram kind of way, talk to me about the overlap, then I'm interested. Now, mm. because you, you're bringing your universe to my universe and you're talking about the stuff that matters to me. And now I'm interested. And understanding where that overlap is is absolutely vital in order to exclude the stuff that you're fascinated by, but your audience couldn't care less about. Does does that make sense? All right, absolutely. So what I want to do is understand what it is the people are listening to me are really absolutely concerned about, care about, thinking about, and get rid of everything else. Completely. And that is, it sounds a really obvious thing to say, it is endlessly underestimated. If we take that kind of overlap and describe that content as insight as opposed to information that I was talking about earlier on, so if we describe the overlap content as insight, you have to constantly push your content through their me filter in order for something to be insightful. It has to be relevant. It has to be new to them. It has to matter to them. Otherwise, you are not going to hold their attention, and it is so underestimated. I can remember talking to a, uh, uh, the senior partner of a private equity house. I worked with quite a lot of private equity houses, um, and uh, this guy had had a whole bunch of bankers come in to pitch um, for a mandate that he'd put out for tender. And he had a whole bunch of these bankers, all the famous names, all the investment banks. I won't name them, but you can think of. They were all there because it was a pretty significant piece of work. Uh, and they all came into pitch. On average, they had a 90-page deck uh, of slides uh, for a 90-minute meeting. Now, even my mathematical ability can work out that that's about one slide a minute. Uh, Paul got so bored in these presentations that he started playing various um, uh, sort of little mental games because he got so bored. And one of the games was he imagined he had a sort of little insight bell uh, in front of him. Um, and he, he waited in the presentations until the first time that they said something that he regarded as deeply insightful. It was new to him. It kind of made him go, oh, wow, that, now that's really useful. That's interesting. That's fascinating. I can use that. It's like a little gift. And he, in his head, he kind of rang his little insight bell, ting-a-ling-a-ling. So on average, across about eight different banks, on average, what page number do you think it was when he actually uh, internally in his head rang his little insight bell? 75. Well, that's harsh. (laughs) That's harsh. It was actually page 27 on average. But that still means that from some of the brightest people on the planet, apparently, he had to listen to 20 pages of content that, as far as he was concerned, had nothing to do with him. And that's pretty terrifying when you think about this, that particular situation and the alleged abilities of, 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 those, of those folk. So we, we constantly underestimate this, and it's absolutely crucial 
to be pushing your content through their me filter. Now, the, the way to make sure that you're really focused on that, there are two things you can do. The first, of course, is you can, you can go and listen to people to find out. And if there's an opportunity to go and listen to an audience, particularly if you're pitching to them, um, but even if you're not pitching to them, even if you're talking at a conference, is there an opportunity to go and listen to a few sample members of that audience and find out what matters to them, find out what their current perspectives are? And so often people don't take advantage of that opportunity. So listening is one, but very often when you're presenting, you can't listen. Um, you, uh, you don't have an opportunity to. So there's a really useful, incredibly simple little tool called a TFD. Um, I don't know if you've come across this one, but you might have done a few years ago okay. when we met, possibly. Um, a TFD. So think, feel, do. You take a piece of paper, you do three columns, think, feel, do. And then you sit down with somebody else, preferably, because it's sort of um, semi-creative, this process. You sit down and you brainstorm, what are my audience likely to be thinking at the moment? Where are they intellectually? And you capture everything about where you think they are intellectually. What are they thinking about the thing that you're going to be talking about? And then you capture it emotionally. What are they likely to be feeling coming to this talk about whatever it may be? You will be standing up in front of an emotional state. Are they... Are they secure, insecure? Are they naive? Are they cynical? Well, whatever it may be. And you capture that. And then you capture the uh, uh, TFD. Um, you capture the D, which is the doing. What are they currently doing or not doing in relation to the thing that I'm going to be talking about? You brainstorm that for 15 to 20 minutes, whatever it takes. And then, I'm sure your, your listeners are already ahead of me, you then do exactly the same exercise with the same three columns, but this time, instead of having the word now, where are they now, you put to be. What do I want them to be thinking, feeling, and doing by the end of the talk, the pitch, whatever it may be? When you do that little exercise, you force your brain to sit in their, uh, in their universe. You're forcing yourself to come at your content from their perspective. It's an incredibly simple exercise. It's an incredibly useful exercise because it will tell you what you should and shouldn't be talking about. Does that make sense? Absolutely, Charlie. I love it. Such a simple exercise. Okay, so we're going to need to take a break here, but let Mm -hmm. me kind of sum up where we are at this point. So the basic big aha insight, if you will, at the moment is that the spoken word is rubbish at communicating information. The written word is fabulous at it, but the spoken word is brilliant at moving people from one state to another state, whether that's a thinking state, a feeling state, or a doing state, or all three of those. Absolutely. The written word is a horrible at moving people. So well, yeah. if you're going to do a presentation that's going to have impact, you need to be thinking about where it is you want to move people. And the first thing is how do I hold their attention? And that is get through the me filter. Yeah. What is it they care about, think about? The way to do that, if you can't listen and get some information, is a TFD. So right now, what is my audience thinking? What are yep. they feeling and what yep. are they doing? Three yep. columns as much as I can. And then where do I want them to be at the end of my talk? Thinking, feeling, and doing. Absolutely. And at that point, you actually have created a roadmap for the talk. Now, we're going to take a break, Charlie, and then we'll come back and pick this up. And we have to pick up the piece that you left, which is said, how do I get them to remember what I say? So with me today is Charlie Simpson. Charlie is currently with Garrett and Simpson coaching um, executives on how to do fabulous presentations and pitches. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Charlie Simpson. Charlie began his career practicing at the bar for four years and then became a professional actor, um, doing a variety of things from the Royal Shakespeare Company to the West End and TV, from classic drama to soap opera. And at currently, he works with his partner, um, Richard Garrett in Garrett and Simpson, where they coach clients, among other things, how to do fabulous presentations, particularly when you've done a ton of work on the pitch that you're about to give to win business, and then how do you make sure you come across with impact? Now, we've just been talking about Charlie's belief about what makes for great communication is, first off, the spoken word is good for moving people, not for conveying information. So if you try to say everything, you're going to say nothing. And that to do a fabulous job of a presentation, there are really two sides of the coin. One side is the content, which is making sure you get the information out or the journey out that your client is really looking, the experience they're looking for. The second half of the coin is the process, and we're going to come to that one in a minute. The biggest issue is how do we get hold people's attention, and we do that by getting through the me filter, TFD. Okay, now the second biggest issue on the content, Charlie, is having Mm -hmm. people remember what I say. How do I do that? Absolutely. Fantastic. So once you've, 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 you've got their attention because, because your co- content is relentlessly insightful because you put it through their me filter, now the question is how, why should they remember what it is that you say? So um, I know, Wanda, you're familiar with, um, with some of the work done by the Heath brothers um, uh, in the U.S., um, and there's some really interesting stuff here about why it is that we remember some content and why we do other content is deeply forgetful. Um, <coughs> so um, if I, I, what I usually do is I'll, I'll say to people, uh, I'll ask you, uh, uh, Wanda, do you remember the first car that you ever bought or were privileged enough to be given? Um, indeed. Great. How do you remember that car? In what form does your brain remember the car? Oh, it's the, it's the image. It's the picture of it. Absolutely. It remembers an image. What you just did was you went fishing in your subconscious brain. You might not have thought about that car for years, but you just went fishing in your subconscious brain, and you flipped up the JPEG, and there it was. And attached to that JPEG are a whole bunch of, of, of memories and stories and, 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 and stuff. So <clears throat> we remember in, in image. If you have worked out what your insights are and you fail to convert those insights into something that their mind's eye can see, and isn't that interesting that we use the phrase the mind's eye and we talk about, oh, I see what you mean. That, the, the, the visual brain is absolutely central to being able to remember stuff. If you fail to convert your insight into something that my mind's eye can kind of see, 
then I will not remember what you say. It'll be in one ear, straight out the other. Now, there are some pictures that are even more powerful than others. Uh, you can remember, I suspect, uh, wonder where you were uh, on that tragic day, 9-11. Uh, you you, if I asked you lots of questions, you could remember an amazing amount of detail, and I bet that all of your listeners could as well. Uh, where you were, what corner of the room the TV was in, who was in the room, who said what. It's not a JPEG, it's like an MPEG. You can literally play the film. Now, why is that the case? Because there are some pictures that have very, very powerful emotions attached to them. And that combination of picture and emotion is absolutely crucial if your audience is going to remember what you say, whatever those, those insights are that you're trying to communicate. So you may say to me, all right, well, I get that in principle, Charlie, but uh, uh, how do I turn my insights into things that are visual and emotional? What kind of content does that job? And this is where I have a little acronym that I use. Um, I love a little acronym because they're easy to remember. Um, uh, and my little acronym is FOAM, F-O-A-M. Uh, and I'll very quickly whip you through it, if I may. Um, uh, F stands for facts and stats. Um, I could tell you the economy in Malawi is in a terrible state, and you'd understand those, those words. Um, and they'd have a certain amount of impact. Or I could tell you that I will never forget reading about 12 years ago now uh, a sentence uh, uh, in, a, in a magazine which said, last year, one-third of the entire education budget in Malawi was spent on the burial costs of the teachers who died last year in Malawi from AIDS. Um, when I first read that sentence, I thought uh, that cannot be true. Um, and I still to this day don't know whether it's true. I know the source is credible, but I don't know whether it was actually true, but I've never forgotten the sentence. That fact paints an incredibly powerful emotional and visual picture. So that's F. When you, in your presentation, what are the key facts and stats that, that are going to make an audience go, wow, I had no idea. That's extraordinary. Um, moving to the next one, O. O is opinion. Quoting people. Obviously, we, we, in business, we tend to quote our clients, and uh, we'll have nice quotes on our website saying that our clients are very happy with us. But actually, there's a whole universe of quotes. There are academic quotes. There are political quotes. There are, there are, there are, there's a whole universe of people who are credible who you can quote in order to credentialize the proposition that you're trying to advance. You know, let's say you're trying to advance, you're talking about some shift in the dynamics in the marketplace. Who can you quote that will credentialize that specific element of your proposition? So that's O, opinion. A is anecdote. What are the little stories and examples? If you're trying to convince me of something, if you've got an insight that you're trying to persuade me of, and you can't give me a little story or an anecdote that illustrates that, then actually, hmm, you probably, haven't, you probably shouldn't be trying to convince me. Because if there isn't an example, there's no evidence. And if there's no evidence, then it may be, um, well, I don't want to say bull, but you know what I mean. Um, <clears throat> If you're, trying to, uh, if you're trying to persuade me that it was a very good idea to develop this particular product in a particular way, and you haven't got the little story or example that illustrates why you've chosen to develop it in the way that you have, then, again, no evidence. Why should I believe you? So that's A. And then the final one is M, which is metaphor. Um, our brains love metaphor and simile and analogy and all the close cousins. Um, as soon as we hear that little phrase, it's a bit like, we love it. Now, I'm not going to go through lots of metaphors now, um, but anything where you're painting a picture by saying it's a bit like, my brain's going to love it. So that's, that's what's key to, um, to painting that, it's that kind of content. It, that foam is like a kind of menu that you can pick from to illustrate the insights that you're trying to communicate. It's incredibly important that you paint those pictures because you know as well as I do, uh, Wanda, that there's a horrible language out there um, which involves people saying things like the cross-functionality of their multi-integrated perspective uh, being driven forward on an ongoing basis across the solution set. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We all die a very painful death. Yeah. It's over-complex, abstract language, and it's deeply forgettable. 
Right. Well, we have a running joke sometimes, uh, my cohort group that I work with, uh-huh. where you find people who sound really good, as in every word strings together and sounds fabulous. Right. But you have no clue what they said at the end of it. Yes, yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> okay. All right, so phone. So just repeat, facts and statistics, particularly framed in a way that is kind of compelling and memorable and unique, mm-hmm. an opinion, a quote, somebody else who believes or is from making a proposition that's consistent with what you're trying to say and gives mm-hmm. some credentials, an anecdote, a story, an example, some evidence of the insight that I'm trying to convey, and then a metaphor, a simile, an analogy. It's a bit like, I notice in that, Charlie, though, you didn't do what was popular several years ago to turn PowerPoints into photographs. Ah, okay, okay. So I haven't spoken about PowerPoint. Um, We probably haven't got the time to get deep into it, but the fundamental principles that I've been talking about are absolutely relevant in terms of using the slides to paint the picture. Absolutely. Now, you can use, of course, you can use images. You need to be careful about which images you use to make sure they're obviously not the kind of cheesy ones. But absolutely, image, images, pictures uh, can be fantastic. And, of course, graphics um, aren't, aren't a literal picture, but they are visual. What you've got to be getting away from on the slides, on the PowerPoint, uh, by the way, there's nothing wrong with PowerPoint. The only, the only thing there's anything wrong with is the way people use PowerPoint. Nothing wrong with the software at all. Um, uh, 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 the, the important thing with PowerPoint is that, I mean, I'm sure your listeners will have, will have heard of Nancy Duarte um, and Slideology and all that good stuff. Um, she, she, she has a lovely phrase. She talks about slideguments. Um, a slidegument is basically a document that's been put into a slide form. Uh, and really impressive communicators stand up and read out their slides. Um, not terribly impressive. So it's really important that the slides are a kind of combination of foam. So the slides need to be a combination of numbers and keywords and phrases and also images, either literal ones or graphic uh, images, that help my brain to diagnose the words that are coming out of your mouth. That's okay. the job of the slide. Okay. Fabulous. Does that make sense? Absolutely, totally. I didn't mean to take you off track on that one. Um, it's just, it's been an interesting debate among some circles that I've been around. Okay, so let's go, so we've talked about the, the content. Can I just add one sentence to yeah. that? I think the interesting, the, the, the key thing with the slides is to ask yourself who's in the room. And, and, and if actually this slide deck is going to be given to people to read at a later date because they weren't in the room, then fine, have lots of text on it. But if, 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 if you're standing up and presenting, we know from there's any amount of evidence that tells us that the brain cannot listen and read at the same time. It will default to one or the other. So if you put paragraphs of words in front of me and then you speak different words, I'll do one or the other, but I can't do both. And that's the challenge. Love that. And I also can't see. I'm squinting in that little tiny type because you put too oh. much up here on the slide to begin with. But Don't let's not go, go down there. that line. <laughs> so let's go back to your key points here, which is to do a fabulous, brilliant presentation that has the impact you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I have to spend a lot more time than people would realize on the content. Mm-hmm. And focus on the content, number one, so that I hold people's attention, and I do that by making sure it goes through their me filter. And I can figure that out by understanding what they are thinking, feeling, and doing right now, Mm -hmm. and create a journey map of what I want them to think, feel, and do as a result of listening to my talk. Yep. And the second part is I need to make sure they remember what I say because what good is it otherwise? And that's where foam comes into play. So I'm going to use these elements. Facts and L and statistics is the F. O is an opinion or a quote. And A is an anecdote or a story. And an M is a metaphor. Foam. That those are the things we know the human brain is going to remember best of all. Absolutely. And I want to avoid having them try to both read the text on the slide while I'm speaking words at the same time. Because we will do one but not both. Completely. Okay, Charlie. Let's shift from content. And to talk about process. And I want to talk specifically about this whole notion of energy. You have a unique view on that. Tell us your frame. Okay. On the whole business, so, so the impact side of the equation, we're going to switch over to now, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And just, by the way, just b- b- before I do that, the, 
you know, you go on to TED and you look at Ken Robinson talking about education. You look at Simon Sinek talking about leaders, Brittany Brown talking about vulnerability, Sean Acker on happiness. You look at any of those talks and their talks are stuffed full of foam. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, so impact. Um, uh, where should we start on that? I mean, obviously, how you come across as a human being is unbelievably important. Um, <clears throat> in fact, we know from that pie chart that everybody's seen that was, that was the piece of research done by Alfred Morabian back in the 1970s, you know, the 60-30-10 thing, um, see, hear, and content. Um, I'm sure your listeners will all be familiar with that. It, this whole business of, of, of how you come across your visual and your oral impact punches way above its weight. Um, now, you can either be cynical about that and not like that, or you can embrace that and think that you don't need to worry about content and just get away with being incredibly charismatic. Um, I don't think either of those options are great. Um, what I do believe is that, is that great content actually feeds energy. Um, <clears throat> the challenge for most people is that they don't particularly like standing up in front of a whole bunch of people. And when someone puts the spotlight on a normal human being, stuff happens that isn't in their interest. Um, when they're under pressure, um, stuff happens to us. Now, whether that's, uh, whether that's freezing and not being able to remember what you say or whether it's um, shaking or whether it's the voice going a bit funny or breathing and all that, normal people have stuff that happens to them. Now, uh, when they're not under pressure, in a normal situation, the natural environment, clearly none of that happens. So I have a little way of thinking about this. I ask people to think about themselves at a barbecue uh, at their home, um, and it's a lovely evening, and they've got a glass of whatever they like to drink in their hand, and they're surrounded by friends and family who love and adore them, hopefully, uh, and they're talking about something they love talking about. Then... If you videoed that, you would see all sorts of wonderful uh, energy going on. You'd see all sorts of stuff happening in their face and their body, um, and it would be perfectly obvious that they're very happy uh, and energized and positive and, and, and high status, if you want. They're, 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 it would be looking great. And then you put them in a, uh, a pressurized environment, and as I said earlier, stuff happens. So the fundamental proposition is this. We need to take the appropriate bits of barbecue person, man or woman, and bring them into the unnatural environment. That's the fundamental proposition. We want to access the bits of you that you would like to bring into this pressurized environment. And that's the person that you aspire to be. Uh, authenticity is incredibly important. I'm not interested in helping people to become something they are not. What I'm interested in helping people to do is to be the bits of themselves that they want to be when they are under pressure, if that makes sense. Great. I love it. Now, in order to do that, in order to be the appropriate bits of barbecue person when under pressure, that doesn't happen naturally. So how is it going to happen? You're going to have to perform the appropriate bits of barbecue person. Now, for a lot of people, the word perform is a word they don't really like because they think of what I used to do standing around on a stage in strange clothing um, uh, and, and with a spotlight on them, and, and they don't like that. And I totally understand that. I'm not talking about that kind of performing. Um, I would like you to imagine, uh, Wanda, that you have had a terrible day at work, disastrous day at work, and you get home, um, uh, and a significant other person uh, opens the door uh, and says, Wanda, thanks very much for arriving home an hour and a half ago, as you promised me you would do this morning. And you go, well, hang on a second, um, I've been really, really busy. And they go, no, we discussed the new next-door neighbor coming to dinner. And you said that you'd be home an hour and a half ago to help cook the dinner. It's now 8 o'clock. Thank you very much. You go into the house, and two seconds later, the doorbell rings, and the new next-door neighbor's just arrived. And you go to the front door, and you open the door. What do you say to the new next-door neighbor? Uh, go away. I don't want to talk to you is not what I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> There's your new next-door neighbor. You go, hi, come on in. How lovely to see you. We're so pleased you've moved in next door. What do you feel like saying to the new next-door neighbor? Yeah, go right. away or something <laughs> ruder. Yeah. But, but you don't because you're a civilized human being. Now, the fact is 
that you behave in a way that you demonstrably do not feel like behaving. But you do mm-hmm. it because you know the situation is required. So you are performing. So when people say to me, Charlie, I don't perform, you do that, you used to be an actor, I say, absolutely not. We all perform the whole time. The only question is, what performance, when you're presenting, what performance are you going to give? Because whether you like it or not, it will be a performance. So hopefully, by framing performance in that way, it's a little less threatening, and people can start to think, okay, well, he's right. Actually, I do perform the whole time. So now it becomes about defining the performance that you aspire to give when you're under pressure in front of an audience. Does that? I'll, I'll sort of pause there for a moment just to check in with you. Cause it does. It's like yeah. a reframing of the word performance that I think is really important for people to grasp. It's very important. I think it's very helpful for people to begin to recognize you're right to do a performance all the time. And I really like the notion of I take the parts of me that are actually the best of me when I'm relaxed and comfortable and with friends and doing what I love to do. I identify those parts and then I bring that style performance, if you will, into something where I'm nervous and insane and not very helpful. Absolutely. Okay, Charlie. So that's so that's about keeping the energy up, and that's a bit about the impact. I know we could go on and say more about it. Let's shift gears and talk for a minute about the Q&A part. So, you know, that's how the much, worst of it all. Can I, could I interrupt you for a second? How, how, how long have we got now, Wanda? Are we... Not many minutes. Not many minutes. Um, okay. So, so all right. The only thing I would add about I mean, we we haven't spoken. We've spoken a bit about the need to to have a performance. Um, um, I'm just wondering if, in the time frame, it might make sense to just stick with energy for a, for a little bit more. Because okay. if, if that's okay, every performance requires a degree of energy. Clearly, there's vocal energy and there's and there's visual energy. Yeah, in the in the face okay. and, and, and and the body. Um, if you can imagine a kind of ladder where you've got you've got too much energy, too little energy, and enough energy, right? And you're clearly aiming for enough energy. I think what your listeners need to the really the important takeaway here is that most of the time, most people undercook their energy. Because if you think about it, when someone points a spotlight at you and says, okay, you're in front of the audience, away you go, uh, do we feel like going, ah, fantastic, and standing there and waving our hands around, or do we feel like putting a lid on the saucepan? For most people, they want to put a lid on the saucepan. They want to retreat. Um, because obviously having that spotlight on you is a kind of dangerous thing. So we tend to retreat, and we underestimate the degree to which we retreat, and we underestimate just how much lower our energy gets than when we are unselfconscious. So right. it's incredibly important for people to practice this. If you've never done any work with a video, if you've never had anybody video you while you're rehearsing a presentation, do it. Uh, if you've never had anybody, uh, if, 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 you, if, if they are videoing your presentation, always ask for the video afterwards. The big challenge here is that we, we don't get real-time feedback. We don't see how we are and see and hear how we're actually performing uh, and we, until we see it. And the only way of seeing it is really on a video. Okay. So, so it's incredibly important. Every, everybody under pressure has their little things that they do. Either they undercook the energy and they think they're being really energized, but actually they don't come across as though they're caring about their content. They think they are on the inside, but on the outside, I can't hear it in the voice and I can't see it in the body and the face. And that is the name of the game. Energy is simply, is simply saying, does this person appear to and sound like they care in a positive way about what they're talking about? Okay. Um, and we underestimate there's this perspective gap between what we think we're doing and what the audience is seeing. So it's absolutely crucial. That you, that you, if you haven't done this before, that you practice with a video. Get a friend, get a mate, someone to come and video you, and then just have a look. Um, okay. I cannot, I, I cannot sort of underestimate, uh, overestimate this, this, this too much. That's um, right. 
Really Unfortunately, good. with the you know rise of iPads and various other devices, it's so easy to get a friend to come along and just do a recording on whatever device is available. You don't need anything very sophisticated to get a totally. sense of what you're doing. Totally. And it's, it's just so important because your, your emotional energy, and we haven't got time to go into it now, but um, if your listeners are interested, there's a whole raft of stuff around mirror neurons um, and how we mirror each other's energy. And the consequence of the science around mirror neurons is that somebody will infect somebody with their energy. And, and, and typically, you get very little energy from an audience. So your mirror neurons are desperately trying to match the energy of the audience because that's where safety is, and that's very low energy. You, therefore, have to use a lot of energy to infect your audience with a positive and engaging energy. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, some of the neuroscience is absolutely fascinating around this. Okay. Fabulous. All right, Charlie, we have two minutes. I love this. There's this whole notion of recognize it as a performance. I want to take the best of me and my best possible self mm-hmm. and perform that when I'm under pressure, when all that stuff is going on in my brain that has me panicked and sweating and not breathing and shaky voice and all that. So it's a right. performance. I need to learn what it is and then learn how to perform it. And right. then the second big thing on this one to have impact is to keep my energy up. And we way underestimate how much effort it takes to push the energy forward. Right. Okay, you've got one minute. Any one last piece of advice? Yeah, I mean, I love just as a, a kind of final image. Um, so a, a lovely client of ours called Carl, uh, he came up with the, with the phrase one day. He, he was listening to us talk about, uh, listening to me talk about um, uh, uh, energy and, and this business of performance. And he said, oh, so he said, so I've kind of got to be like an, an authentic chameleon. And I <laughs> love that phrase. The authentic chameleon. So you're not pretending to be something that you're not. You're accessing the bit of you that you need to access. Um, and people talk about the word charisma. It's a slightly scary word, charisma. The best definition of charisma I ever read was in the Harvard Business School Review years ago. And it described charisma as the appropriate expression of a wide range of emotion the appropriate expression of a wide range of emotion. And that's what it means to be an authentic chameleon, accessing the underlying emotions uh, behind your content. And the main one, frankly, is that you love talking about what you're talking about, whatever it is. And if I can see and hear that, then you're going to infect me with that enthusiasm and you're going to stand a much better chance of influencing me uh, in the direction that you want to influence me. All right, fabulous. So we're right back to where we started, this whole notion of how do I get through the me filter? How mm-hmm. do I make sure that people that I understand where people, what people are thinking, what they're feeling, what they're doing, and then my talking is about moving them to a new state of thinking, feeling, and doing. And one of those we hopeful, hopefully is passionate and enthusiastic and positive about the message that you have to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, Charlie, fabulous show. With me today is Charlie Simpson. The company is Garrett and Simpson. Uh, Gone it. Garnet, excuse me. I always say that wrong. Garnet and Simpson, Mm -hmm. based in the UK. Fabulous um, coaches on communication, among other things. And I think if I take the one highlight out of the day, the one thing I have everybody remember, the spoken word is moving from people from A to B. The written word is about giving them information. If I'm having a meeting or giving a presentation where it is just about giving information, I have lost the whole point and I'm wasting time. So plan your talk in terms of how I'm moving people from point A, thinking, feeling, doing, to point B. Charlie, fabulous show. Thank you very much. Great. It's been a pleasure. All right. Next week, we'll be talking with John Besson about how to get to the C-suite, and communication is a part of it. Join us then. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.